Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston, and I guess we should get right to it. But first, I do need to note that after I talk about diesel prices here for a few minutes, we will have our guest of the week. It's Jim Aloisi, and he's a lot of things. I can't really recap all of them because it's a long list, but this week, he's here from MIT to talk to us about highway funding and how the Highway Trust Fund, the Federal Highway Trust Fund, which is already beleaguered, is going to get even more so as electric vehicles grow in market share and pay zero in highway fuel taxes. It's going to be a good interview. So that leaves us talking about diesel prices. Let's note here that if you're in the transportation world, you're thinking that maybe nobody is noticing the size of the price increases that you have paid already and continue to face because everybody is focused on gasoline, but that's not the case. The reality is that in the oil world, everybody is talking about diesel. They're looking at inventories and they're looking at the spread between crude oil and Brent, Brent crude, crude oil, excuse me, Brent crude oil and diesel. And all they can say is, here we go again. Let's just get this a bit past the outright price. Let's get, get past that, which we know is very high. The EIA number used for fuel surcharges came in Monday at $4.54 a gallon in California. It's pushing $6 a gallon. The actual EIA number was below 6 but on the street, there are plenty of $6 tags. The 454 price is the highest since the beginning of February, when the market was subsiding a little bit after last fall, when we did have $5 average prices nationally. The highest price was 534 at one point. If you've been tuning into Drilling Deep regularly, you know the reasons. Inventories worldwide remain tight. And while U.S. inventories a week ago, that's the week we have the most, the most recent data on, they did take a pretty healthy jump. There's still about only 85% of normal for this time of year. There's nothing really to help us here because consumption is going to start to rise because of harvest season and then heating all season. We got saved last year because winter was warm really all over the world. Can we count on that again? I think El Nino does tend to bring warmer winters to the U.S. Northeast, and the Northeast is the center of U.S. heating oil demand, just to remind everybody Diesel and heating oil demand are very similar in their chemical composition, so the markets are very much linked. So because of El Nino, we might dodge a bullet again. But so much of the focus in the oil market right now is the cutbacks in the output from uh, the crude output out of Saudi Arabia. Those grades of crudes are heavier, and when they are processed, you tend to get a lot more diesel. Losing a million barrels a day to Saudi output, that is the size of their so-called voluntary cutback, is not the same thing as losing, let's say, a million barrels a day of oil out of the U.S. shale patch, like the Permian in Texas or the Bakken in North Dakota. That oil is lighter and produces far less diesel in a refinery than the Saudi grades. This is a major reason for the diesel squeeze. The Saudis have recommitted to keeping those cuts in place through December, 
The International Energy Agency report that came out this week shows the market to be in a supply deficit, just as just as on crude, of more than three million barrels per day. Uh, it's three, excuse me, more than three million barrels per day in the fourth quarter. And given the fact that some of that deficit it is because is because of the Saudis cutting down diesel rich grade output, it's likely that diesel prices will continue to be the price that rises the highest of all the various petroleum products. I wish I had some good news for you diesel consumers out there, but I don't. Time to move on here now on Drilling Deep. The federal excise tax on gasoline is 18.4 cents per gallon. The federal excise tax for diesel is 24.4 cents a gallon. And those two numbers have not changed for a very long time, even as the cost of maintaining the nation's highways out of the Highway Trust Fund, where that money goes to, has, has risen considerably. Now, throw in the rise of electric vehicles, and you've got even more pressure on the Highway Trust Fund. People using these highways in their EVs aren't paying anything into the Federal Highway Trust Fund because, obviously, they don't, they don't consume gasoline. That, obviously, is not really an issue for diesel because outside of a few experimental, experimental vehicles on the road, everybody is still paying the diesel tax. All the trucks are. But a, a trucker does need to be concerned anyway about this whole issue because the state of the roads that they run on declines or at least faces the prospect of declining as the funding in the highway trust fund dries up as EV penetrate. I won't say dry up, gets smaller, gets more pressure uh, as EV penetration rises. So the MIT Mobility Lab and the JTL Transit Lab recently put out a report on how to fix this problem. And we've got with us today one of the authors of the study, Jim Aloisi. He is director of the MIT Transit Research Consortium and also uh, lectures on urban transport planning and policy at MIT. So, Jim, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Why don't you first start by speaking about the lab and what it does? So the MIT uh, JTL Transit Lab, um, we are a group of mostly graduate level researchers and faculty who uh, undertake research projects on behalf of transit agencies across the, the world. Um, we've done work for Transport Transport for London, Singapore, Hong Kong. We're doing work right now for some of the largest U.S. transit agencies. And what we try to do um, is sort of be responsive from a research perspective to practical issues that transit agencies are facing. You can imagine in this immediate post-pandemic period with workforce shortages and with ridership being off, uh, some of what we're doing is looking at technology and ways to optimize service delivery, you know, how to, how to maximize service delivery with a smaller workforce uh, using new technologies. We're exploring the future together with these agencies at a time that's, um, I think we're still um, in a little bit of a dynamic post-pandemic period. And by that, I mean, you know, I think that what we're looking at is you, you had a one or two year significant massive disruption thanks to COVID, now we're in this sort of, what I suspect is several year post-pandemic period where 
where things will look like they're settling down, but they'll fluctuate still until we get to a point maybe in three years or even five years to what we can comfortably call a new normal. So that's what we try to do is we try to bring the best of our thinking and our research talent to supporting transit agencies as they're going through this massive transition. And um, it's, as you can imagine, it's very exciting work. Right, but as this study did not focus on transit, it focused on sort of the opposite of transit, <laughs> which are people it did. using their cars on the highways. So why don't we jump, jump right to some of your main conclusions? I, I laid out the issues here. The issues are that the, the highway, the, the money collected for the highway trust fund for excise tax, tax has, has through the excise tax, has not covered their expenses for years and has been supplemented Correct. by payments from the general, the general fund. And then that problem is only getting worse. And again, with the rise of EVs, it's going to get further still. Your job was to come up with some solutions. What are some of the key ones that you concluded? I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you got there. I, I don't know. Sure, sure. I want to jump right to the end, but let's talk well, about what do we do next? So, yeah, maybe just by way of prefacing it, as you and, and you, you started to do this, John, um, when the Highway Trust Fund was created in the late 1950s, with the three cent a gallon gas tax, it was pretty robust and stable for for a while, and and it was the foundation for uh, the federal government's significant significant financial participation in the building the original building of the interstate highway system. Right, the federal government paid ninety cents on the dollar to build the high the, the interstate system. And it did that largely with gas tax, federal gas tax revenues. What we've seen over time is a steady decline in the purchasing power. A lot of that has to do with the fact that the gas tax is politically unpopular, and so Congress very rarely raises gas tax. I believe the last it, time was like '94, maybe. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was under President Clinton, and. Um, I, it, you know, it was a modest gas tax increase at that time. We don't index it for inflation. So everyone knows, you know, the price of eggs has gone up. Well, the price of gas is not indexed to inflation. And so this purchasing power just keeps declining. In this century, in the 21st century, um, we, we lay out in the report is almost, almost every year in the 21st century, the federal government has had to bail out the highway trust fund. You know, by transferring significant amounts, hundreds of millions of dollars, actually, of general fund revenue to the highway fund. And even then, we all know that the monies that are there are not adequate to meet our needs. So regardless of this transition to electric, we have been facing a recurring problem with gas tax revenues simply not being sufficient to fund the highway trust fund. Now, with the coming of this great transition to electric, um, what we did in this report is point out kind of the obvious, but it's the obvious that at a political level, you don't want it, a lot of people just don't want to talk about right now. And that's the point that as we all begin to drive electric, um, the gas tax is going to quickly evaporate. We're concerned that between uh, now and the next 10 years, you're going to see a significant evaporation of gas tax revenues 
not at both at the federal level and at the state levels. And unless we begin the process now of thinking about it, talking about it, getting people prepared for it, uh, we're going to be, uh, the American public is going to be in for a rude awakening because even though the point may be obvious to us and to the, your listeners, it's not something that's in the public discussion right now. But what we've tried to do with this report is say, look, we should be talking about it lots of different ways to deal with this. Um, let's start the conversation. What we did in the report is we looked at a variety of ways in which, and by the way, let me just say how the federal government deals with this and how state governments deal with this may be two very different things, number one, because there are gaps at both levels. Number two, at a state level, we were very clear about saying this is not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. In California, um, the transportation funding for the state of California depends on significantly more so on the gas tax than, say, New York State or even Massachusetts or Texas. Every state will have a different need when it comes to filling uh, the gas tax gap. But most states, if you look at Texas, or Florida, Massachusetts, they depend on about 33, 35 average percent of their total transportation revenue on state gas taxes. That's, you know, it's when you talk about it as a percentage, it's one thing. When you talk about it as real money, you can begin to see how big numbers are. So Massachusetts, where I live, you know, we're talking close to a billion dollars of revenue that will go away when everyone's driving an EV. Uh, we don't know when everyone's going to be driving an EV, but most of the data that we looked at suggests that um, this transition will gain force toward the end of the 2020s. And you see, for example, many states led by California, but including 17 other states across the country have already said after 2035, you cannot buy anything but an EV or an EV hybrid as a new vehicle. Uh, you see a massive investment at the federal level for our EV charging. You see almost every automobile manufacturer globally beginning to shift manufacturing toward electric. So I think this is, this is we cannot be, you know, like King Canute and think that we're going to hold, hold, hold back the tide here. I don't think we can, uh, nor do I think we should. But I think we need to be thoughtful now about making sure that the revenue that we need to do everything we want to do in terms of building up and maintaining our infrastructure uh, will be there. And that's the that was the, the thrust of our report. All right, so let's go to some of the specific proposals that are in the report. Uh, there's a lot in there. Okay, We don't have time to go through all of them. Right. What do you think are some of the key ones? Well, I think that the perhaps, and this will be no surprise to anybody, um, if you were to think about what's the most likely way for states, in particular states, but maybe even the feds, to replace the gas tax, it would be to introduce a road pricing approach, a user fee. And, you know, you see New York already uh, introducing what they refer to as congestion pricing. You see globally 
um, road pricing being adopted more frequently. And you see, you know, toll roads proliferating in Texas and in Florida. Now, those are not, those are not, they, those toll roads were not introduced as a solution to a declining gas tax, but they are, have been introduced as ways to charge people for the use of the infrastructure. So I suspect some forms of road pricing would be adopted. I think, um, and depending on the state, um, from a policy perspective, I suspect that's going to be the first thing people begin to think about. You can certainly, if you want to think about it in a different way, when we talk about the report, is you can charge in a world where there's no gas tax. You can say, well, maybe we're going to charge for the ownership of the vehicle, or maybe we're going to charge for the use of the vehicle. Right. Of course, the ownership of the vehicle assumes everybody's the same, which is a, that's a problem. It's a problem. It's very regressive. It's also, personally, I don't think you could, with a some kind of flat annual fee, I don't think you could either, A, I don't think you could do it in a way where the number would be low enough that the public would accept it. But also, I don't think you could raise, the, you know, if you're talking about raising the kind of money that we need to raise to fill the gap and not just fill the gap, but maybe go beyond that so we can actually fund all of our transportation needs properly in this country. Um, I think you do have to mix that with the um, a, 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 some type of fee on use. If you're talking about a fee on use, road pricing probably rises to the top. Um, and road pricing, I use that phrase deliberately as opposed to say tolling, right? Road pricing could be any number of things, depending on the policy of the particular state or the federal government. So it could be traditional tolling like exists today in many places. It could be congestion pricing where you charge a certain fee for a certain time of day or for certain levels of service on the highway. It could be a, a cordon price where you charge people when they cross a certain boundary like New York is about to do or like London currently does or Stockholm or Singapore. It could be a variation of those. It could be something called VMT pricing. VMT stands for vehicle miles traveled. Um, that's basic. That's a pure user fee. That's basically saying we're going to look at your odometer and we're going to see how many miles did you travel today and we'll charge you, you know, a penny a mile, five cents a mile, whatever the case may be. All of these ways of charging someone, to say the obvious, are technology-based. And as such, I think uh, they will become more acceptable politically, number one. And number two, they can be made to be more equitable and fair, right? Because you can means test something that you can use tech, technology to administer. Well, you can't really means test the gas tax, right? That's a very regressive tax. But road, road pricing doesn't have to be. And so one could see different states thinking that there was some virtue to that, right? One could see, a, you could just do a lot more with the technology-based system. You could charge someone more who was using the roadway in a more congested urban environment, and you could charge someone driving in a rural environment less, right? 
if you chose to do that, you could do that. So it gives it gives governments a little bit or a lot more flexibility in terms of how they want to manage this. For those of us who um, may be old enough to remember toll highways where you actually had to stop and pay cash to a person in a toll booth, people hated that. It's the most transparent way to charge someone for the road. In this world of electronic tolls, it's very opaque. Most people don't even pay attention to their monthly easy pass bill. That means that means us that means from a political perspective, we think it's more acceptable because from a public perspective, that irritation of handing cash over twice a day to a toll collector will be gone. Let me ask you about for our audience here at Freightways. Of course, our audience is measured in the millions, as we know, but it tends to be toward the trucking industry. What do you see happens to trucking in this? I mean, as I mentioned, the diesel tax, I would imagine, has not collapsed. Um, it, it cannot be avoided by EVs. Uh, so wh- where, do you see de- where do you see trucks in your system? Uh, I mean, if it's just per mile, they put more wear and tear on the road. Presumably, it'll be a higher per mile rate. Yeah, I think that with trucks, as it with, by the way, and it's not just trucks. It'll be passenger vehicles too, but trucks will be the most egregious example. If you, if you shift to electric, by definition, you're heavier, right? Now, maybe 100 years from now, today's battery technology will be such that the battery will be as light as a chip. But that's 100 years from now. Right now, <laughs> EVs, whether it's a truck or, or, or a sedan, um, it's a heavier vehicle. So it's putting more wear and tear on the infrastructure. So the infrastructure is going to take more of a beating. And at some point, we got to figure out how we're going to pay for that, right? Uh, whether that means you pay, you, you charge, you, you put a, a weight surcharge on. And I'm not just talking about trucks, John. I think it's going to have to be across the board. Um, it may be that we look at weight for the first time, really, across the board, as a factor in charging, everyone driving everything from a you know a, a regular personal vehicle sedan to a truck, and those rates would scale up, but they can't scale up to a level that's so high that it's untenable. So we, one of the things we talked about is well, how would you, what factors might you look at if you were to figure out a, a way to price for weight that didn't you know cause an untenable level of cost to the the owner of the of the vehicle um i think these are serious issues that everyone's going to have to address it's not in the interest of the trucking industry to have a deteriorated infrastructure on the one hand on the other hand that infrastructure is going to take a bigger beating when everyone's driving a heavier vehicle so we all need to come together and figure out what the right solutions are and i again our report didn't particularly recommend one over another. We laid out a matrix. We laid out ways to evaluate each of these things with the expectation and the hope that um, it has sparked this kind of conversation, right? Uh, where can people find your report? So you can go to, uh, uh, if you Google uh, MIT Mobility Initiative, um, you'll see it a link right on the landing page. And... Um, yeah, just you can check it out there. And um, 
you know, I think it would be interesting uh, to get when your podcast is put out. We'd love to hear the feedback. I think this is not a conversation that we decided to enter into lightly, but it's one that we felt like needed to be sparked by somebody. Um, and it was not going to be sparked by anybody in the political arena because why would they, right? So that's what that's what Let's, we do. Let me talk time for one more question. Sure, sure. You know, I, I always think of the reference to states as little laboratories. The idea that you can you can experiment more on a state level with solutions that maybe then extend out to other states and maybe the federal government rather than doing it on a federal level. So, is do, do you see that states are probably the the place that this is going to start? And um, I mean, is it is it really possible to do that to have a whole different system within a state if the other forty nine are still tied to other ways? Can, can a state really go out and take the lead? Well, New York's doing that right now, right? And so I think they are leading the way. And but I and I think you're right. I think states will be the testing grounds here. And as I said, it. There's not one size fits all. So each state is going to have to come to this with its own set of priorities and policies. I would point out, and we note this in the report, um, in the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, uh, there are two provisions that direct and authorize the Secretary Buttigieg to, um, to pilot both a, a national VMT pilot and one or more road pricing pilots. Now, he's not, he hasn't done either of those things. And to be perfectly candid, I don't expect that he will until after the election next year. Um, but that's in the law. That's in, that's, that's in the law that the president signed to pilot these at the federal level. I suspect that eventually they'll get piloted. And, uh, but I also think you're going to see pilots happening, not just in New York state, but in in other places as well. It's always been interesting to me to observe that in many places that are considered sort of anti-tax or, or red states, if you will, like Texas or Florida, they have been hosting, happily hosting toll roads for many years. And so um, I think drivers generally understand how the system works. They are generally accepting of toll or road pricing approaches, the question is going to be, how do you scale that? How, how do you introduce them? And, um, and at what levels are you charging, correct? So um, I, I think the path of least resistance is always the path that the political policymakers will follow. And if history is to be a guide here, road pricing, if I were to make an informed guess, will be the this the potential solution of choice in many states not in every stage for sure well, of course you could you could team it with the promise that this you know 18 cent ta per gallon tax you're paying disappears yes oh yeah, yeah. Well, the, the bargain here if you want to call it a bargain is you wouldn't be paying the gas tax anymore so i see this as a as something that happens as a transition right we know that the transition of electric is happening. Um, we can't. Anyone who says that they have the crystal ball that tells you exactly when the inflection point occurs and more people are driving EVs, good luck. You know, we, there, there are a lot of imponderables that go along with that. 
not least of which are sort of geopolitical influences on on the marketplace, as we've learned during the pandemic. But as I said earlier, all all of the players, from the automobile manufacturers to the federal government to state governments, everyone's moving in this direction. And so it does seem to me to be, not, it's not an if question, it's a when question. And But we do have the luxury of some time, it could be the next five years, but we've got the luxury of some time now to figure out how are we going to fund our transportation needs when the gas tax isn't providing the revenue it used to provide. And I, I take it as a, you know, this may be a challenge, but it's a real opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to get it right. We The gas tax was not funding all of our transportation needs. Oh, and see, so, you I know- what they call the rule is that government will do nothing until the absolute last minute when they have to do something, and then they'll do it. Yeah, so they'll do it. So I hope this is uh, food for thought for you and your listeners, and I I think um, that's what we were trying to do: is just get the get people talking about it, so that it. I think it would be a mistake, as I said, ten years from now or five years from now, for people to, to all of a sudden have to confront something that we could begin talking about in a careful calm way now and then we come to hopefully come to some consensus around how we're going to do this all right everybody you can go to the mit mobility lab website and you can download the report and we want to thank our guest today jim aloisi i'm sorry i want to make sure i get that right that's all right for being with us talking about the report on mit you have been from mit on how to fund the federal highway trust fund uh you have been watching drilling deep we are part of the freightcast family of podcasts from freightways you can find us on all the leading podcast platforms, including YouTube. YouTube. Oh, I got the accent wrong. YouTube, uh, which you're watching this on if you're seeing visual. Otherwise, audio, we're all over the place. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. <laughs>